And so since Easter, we have been in this journey under the theme of jars of clay. And I want to read to you just this theme passage that uh, we, be- we began in Easter with. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what we have here is the Apostle Paul, this man who his life was radically transformed by his revelation with Jesus. Now, some of us might say, well, that's nice history. It's happened maybe 2,000 years ago. But the truth is this. People who encounter Jesus today, their life can radically transform, as did the Apostle Paul. And so when we read, it's not just history. We read about a reality of being in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, his life was radically transformed as he encountered and had this revelation of the risen Jesus. And before that, his life was uh, built on persecuting and coming against those who had put their faith in Jesus. But his life changed forever. Our lives can change forever. Look, when we have an encounter and a revelation with Jesus, And he went from living a life that was persecuting those people who were believing in the incredible message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. His life turned completely around and he dedicated as God called him into then sharing that same message with the rest of the world. And so when you and I open up our Bibles to the book of Corinthians, it's important that you understand that it's not just the book. It's not like a book that's on a shelf. We have Paul, a human heart that was transformed by Jesus. Look, he's writing a letter. He's writing a pistol to these people who live in the city of Corinth, hence the Corinthians. And Paul went and preached the gospel message, and these people believed. And he spent some time, look, pouring into them, teaching them about what it means to put their faith, the power of Christ's blood onto their salvation, and what does it mean for Christ to resurrect and the gift of the Spirit, and what it does for every single person who puts their faith. Those truths that Paul writes to these Corinthians are still true today. And so us being Christians is not about us just having a routine of church. We need the routine of congregation and we need the routine. You and I, I need this. You need this. We need this. Why? Because there is something that is happening. There is something that is transpiring beyond what we physically see. The truths that the Apostle Paul was trying to get these Corinthians to understand is that the Spirit of God is real. It's real. And it has the power to look to change us. Let's go back to last week. From where? From the inside out. 
And so in Christ, there could be a total renovation of our minds. There could be a total renewing. There's a knowledge and an insight that comes by the Spirit in our minds. Many of us, the realities of, look, frustration, brokenness, and our wickedness and our failures are all stemming from a, from a broken vessel that's broken from within. And so this is why it's so profound that what we learn is that when we put our faith in Christ, God has graced us, not just with the gift of salvation. Everyone who believes this is what we need to understand. He also gives us the gift of his spirit. And look, it is because of that spirit that you and I are actually born again. If the spirit of God is not in us, we are not born again. If the, look, if the Spirit of God is not in me, I cannot love you purely. If the Spirit of God is in me, I cannot have a new mind. I will be, look, I will be a victim of my own wisdom. I will be a fool in, in my own knowledge. And even my greatest morality to love, I will still for short to love others as the divine creation that they actually are. And so we read this passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to read it. And so I wanted to share that so then you, we can understand when we're, when we're reading. Look what he writes to this Corinthian church in his second letter to them. It says, but we have, look, this treasure and what treasure he's talking about he's talking about the treasure of the spirit the spirit is the treasure he's not talking about riches he's not talking about money he's not talking about wealth he's not talking about anything that can be gained in the material world that they live in and this is true for us today the treasure that we have is the spirit that has been deposited into every single believer you and I share with the Corinthian church. And even though Paul is not thinking of me, he's not thinking of the 21st century, he's not thinking of Kissimmee, Kissimmee, Florida, he's not writing to us, he's writing to them, but the words are true for every believer. He says, we have this treasure, look, in jars of clay. What are the jars of clay? He's talking about the, the fragile humanity, the fragility of human flesh. And he says, in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from who? From God and not us. We are hard-pressed on every side. Raise your hand if you ever felt hard-pressed. He says you're hard-pressed, but look, because of the treasure that's inside, look, when the pressure comes from everywhere, we're not crushed. Raise your hand if you felt perplexed. Look, but because of the treasure that's inside, we're not in despair. Persecuted, anyone. He says, but not abandoned. Look, struck down, but not destroyed. And then he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. This is the treasure of the Spirit that's in every single jar of clay. We're the jars of clay. And the strength that you're standing in, and some of you might feel like you don't got much strength, you're just barely, oh, I, you might be the crushed one in here today. You might be the one that's feeling pressure on all sides. If we're honest, many of us are the, we are the victims of our very own wickedness. We're not, we're not just the victims of someone's vic- wickedness towards us. Many of us are the victims of our own wickedness. But Christ has given us, Paul would tell them, the Spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment, as a down, as a deposit, so that we can look, have eternal life, eternity, beginning now, with God. It's a seal. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And so there's this treasure on the inside of us. And if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, since Easter, we've been talking about this Corinthian church. And there's something beautiful about it because this Corinthian church, they are the church at Corinth. There's not 50 churches. There's, at this time, there's not 100 different denominations of faith to pick. <laughs> They are, the, they are the people that make up the first believers to receive the message of Christ. And so this is interesting. If they don't like their church and their church people, they can't go nowhere. They can't pick another church. They can't pick another denomination. They are the real church. Now, that's not true for us in today's world. If you don't like this church, you can get up and you can go find one that's, you know, that, that feels, I don't know, that, that suits you, right? That's more of a blessing to you. But I wonder what would happen to us if we thought like the Corinthian church, in that when I'm not content in the current church that I am, that I realize that I'm still part of the church, and I really can't run anywhere to satisfy a better experience. What would happen if Christians actually, when there was frustration or when there was differences, we had this perspective, well, I am the church, and there are differences here, and there are issues here, and there are problems here. But because I am part, I am the living church, the answer is not to just disengage, disengage and look for another one. You are the church. And so if we have the perspective that we are the church and we can't run off and go nowhere, then that means I have to trust and invite the Lord into those differences. 
into, right, those tensions, into some of those places where there are offenses. Now, why do I bring this up? Because the Corinthian church, they couldn't go nowhere. Look, they were either part of the church and part of, look, part of the truth and part of the confession that Christ died for their sins. But then he rose again and gave them the gift of his spirit. They, they, they had that or they had nothing. They had that or they had the world. And so it was either they're in or they're out. There's no going back and, you know, jumping from church to church. It's like, I'm in Christ or I'm in the world. Well, what was in the Corinthian world? Well, we've been talking about this. The city of Corinth was very unique, um, very special. The city of Corinth was a place that was filled with all kinds of philosophies. There was a lot of wise people. There was a lot of smart people in Corinth. You know, uh, it was, there's a lot of business meetings that took place in Corinth, where a lot of deals were done in Corinth. Uh, there was a lot of trade going in and through Corinth. But also what was in Corinth was not just business and the fast-paced life. It was a city that was filled not just with philosophies, but ideologies about the different gods and the deities. And so if you went to Corinth, it was not, it would not be unusual for you to walk by and see a statue and see an image representing a different kind of God. And so the Greek and the Roman gods filled the city. And it wasn't uncommon while there was no churches that you could just bounce to if you had a problem, but there were enough temples of these gods. And so even like your Christian church, then you only had an option then to leave and go back on your confession and your profession of faith. But then you just ended up in this world of, look, idolatry and worship of these gods. Now, what kind of people lived in Corinth? There were all types of people. It was a metropolitan city. There were all kinds of people. This was a place that was, had a lot of great wealth. But we also know what is true in places of great wealth. Where there's places of great wealth, you can also see the, the, the difference and the schism and the, and, and, and the gulf of also there's a lot of people in poverty too. And so there are those that are at the top of society, the rich, the wealthy, there's also tended to be those that were educated. In this world, in this society, the wealthier were the ones that could then get to the education. And those that were not wealthy, those that were at the lower end of society, were oftentimes the uneducated as well. And so the city was divided, you can say, between the rich and the poor. And also there was a small Jewish community uh, that was in Corinth as well, in the midst of all this craziness. Now, what happens? Paul comes to the city, and he is brave. He has the revelation with Jesus that transforms his life, and God calls him to preach to this Gentile world. What does this mean? What is the Gentile world? It is those that are not part of the Jewish community. And so Paul, God presses on his heart for him to share the gospel of the cross and the resurrection with the Gentile world. Now, the apostles like Peter, their task is to preach the cross 
and the resurrection to the Jewish community, and the Jewish community has to grasp the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah that they've been expecting this whole time. So now look at this. The Jews still need to have a revelation of Jesus, and the Gentiles also need to have a revelation of Jesus. The Jews cannot say that they got something. They do in one sense, but, but they don't have... Until they come into the reality of the revelation of Jesus, then they still are missing what it means to have eternal life in Christ. Look, they cannot live a life of resurrection without that reality coming true in Christ Jesus, okay? So the Jewish community, they need the gospel. But the Gentiles who are lost in their idolatry, the ones that, look, are sacrificing at the temples, there's also... Sexual immorality fused together at times with their idolatry. It was not uncommon to go to the temple for some kind of event, some kind of celebration. You could be at the temple because of a ceremony for a wedding of a family member. You could be at the temple because the, a leader coming together and they're going to do a worship onto their gods. And then they're also going to sit down and talk business, get the, you know, talk how we're going to get things moving. It would not be uncommon for there to be prostitutes at these temples. And so as they come and as they eat and as they celebrate, as they go to break bread and sit at a table and eat, there's also this, look, this sacrificial meals being offered to these gods and they'll take drinks and they'll pour them out, like giving a drink to the god and then there'll be sexual activities going on. This was the world at Corinth. And now all of a sudden, this man named Paul comes into the city and says, Christ died for your sins. He wants to forgive you of your sins. Look, his blood pays and covers your sins. And there's a new way to live with Christ Jesus. And so look, them saying yes to the message of the gospel was with the understanding that there's a new way to live. It's not just that they got a new place to go to on Sunday while it includes that. Ultimately, the new place to go to on Sunday for them is someone's home. It probably would be a Corinthian who was rich among them. And so when Paul preached, look, some of the rich believed, some of the poor believed. And you could imagine those tensions in the Corinthian world. But look, look, what, look what's happening in Christ. Both the rich, both the poor, both need salvation. Now, I need an actor. I need, I need someone to be a Corinthian for me. Raise your hand. Just someone brave. Someone brave. I need a Corinthian. I got a Corinthian right here. <laughs> He's a Corinthian. What's your name? Michael. Michael's a Corinthian. Michael, you're going to be the wealthy Corinthian. Awesome. I need, a, I need another Corinthian. And you just got, oh, here we go. Got another Corinthian here. What's your name? I know your name. <laughs> ben. Ben. Ben the Corinthian. I'm the Corinthian, yes. But Ben, Corinthian. Ben, you're I'm a fellow Corinthian. <laughs> but you're in poverty, Ben. Oh, no. Sadness. Now, in the world that you and I live in today, we, we, we see these realities. We live in the midst of these realities. These are still realities today. There are those that are wealthy and there are those that are in poverty. Now, the goal for all of us is that we, we, we see the value of, of humanity, 
And so, yes, he might be wealthier, and yes, he might not be as wealthy. The goal of our world in some places is that there's still the value of his life and the value of his life is still the same. But we also know that the reality is that the world that we live in, there is still that big difference in people's minds. Our world... Perfect, thank you. Look, trying to get... <laughs> but in our world today, there are still those that, because of this difference, place greater value on some and not on others. Now, when we go back into the times, hey, Corinthian, Corinthian, the world just worked this way. And so if, and so if there was dinner at my house... I would give you a seat first. And if for whatever reason we let you in, <laughs> well, look at this. They were smart. Well, I want you to have a good place at the table, and you got to get served food. Who's going to serve the food? Ah, hey, Ben, want to come over to my dinner? And so, in the ancient world, the poor, when they did fellowship or when they shared the same space, it was not because of unity. It was because of exploiting them in their poverty. And so now we're in the same room, we're in the same home, and me and my fellow Corinthian are having a great time. We're eating, we're, we're toasting, there's cheers. <laughs> You know, maybe we honored our gods and we made a sacrifice and we poured out some drink offering onto our gods and it's like, hey, can you re give, us, give them a refill, man? <laughs> Having a good time. <laughs> and then we would eat the meat until we had our full. And then you know what? If there were leftovers, then go ahead, man. I'm not going to finish eating that. Go ahead. <laughs> this is the world that they lived in. And so even when they, the poor and the rich came together, it was not because of a real fellowship taking place. And so the Apostle Paul comes and he preaches to these Corinthians. And then he says this to the wealthy, Christ died for your sins. You have sins. Christ died for them. And then he went to the poor and he said, Christ died for your sins. You have them. And look, when we come together in Christ, Christ forgives our sin. And look, and in Christ, it's not about Jew versus Greek. It's not about rich versus poor. In Christ, we are one. And so then what the Apostle Paul does is he says, hey, when we come together in the house, yes, the reality is that you're poor. And yes, the reality is that you might be wealthier you guys are brothers in Christ. And you know what? When you sit, you're also going to remember the Lord's meal. And these are the things that we start. Thank you so much, you Corinthians. You guys may be seated. <laughs> Look, and then the rich and the poor start to share lives that they never shared before. Not out of their goodness, not out of their liking towards one another. 
Sure, the rich didn't like the poor, but the poor didn't like the rich either. <laughs> sure, the rich maybe looked down and had some, you know, disgust towards the poor, but what was also happening to the poor, they had some disgust towards the rich. And, and, and none of those sentiments would be right in Christ because in Christ we are one. And so look, to be in Christ for the Corinthians would radically not just change them to go into church. It would change the reality of their life. This would change everything. And so what was happening as Corinthians, in this case, are truly pursuing Christ. Look, they're starting then to develop a love that, could, that, that is going beyond what they ever thought they would give. Now, for some of them, this was happening, but for others, this was not happening. And so this is what we have been learning about the Corinthian church for the past three weeks now, is that they put their faith in Christ, but many of them were still struggling with the realities that they were supposed to be experiencing in Christ. So they made a profession, and so they were in Christ, but they were still living like if they were part of the Corinthian world. And so what we read in these letters is Paul at times saying, Good job there, terrible job there. We read last week how he told them, yes, you're believers, but you're not spiritual. He doesn't take their salvation back. He doesn't say, well, then you're truly not saved. That's not his argument to them. It's you are holy in Christ. You've been separated because now you're in Christ, so you are holy. You're just not spiritual. He literally says, actually carnal. How does he know that they're carnal? He knows that they're carnal by their actions. He knows that they're carnal by how they speak, and he knows that they're carnal by what they're doing. He gets word. He learns that there, there's divisions in their church, and he says, that's not, that's not what it is to be in the true resurrection. Look to, be, look, to believe in the cross and to believe in the resurrection is to ultimately that we live in the resurrection. That you and I are living lives of resurrection. Not that we're just churchgoers. Not that we just do our hair on Sunday. Not that we just go shopping in the middle of the week to see what we're going to wear on Sunday. I'm not saying don't shop in the middle of the week to find out what you're going to wear. Wear something nice to church. That's okay. But what I'm saying is that it went to something deeper than that. It wasn't about dressing them up on the outside so that they looked different in Corinth. It was about a look, something really transforming on the inside of them. So that, look, the light of God could break through, that the Spirit of God could pour out of them. And so, look, that could then bring illumination to this crazy city. I'm sure many of the Corinthians were like us, praying, God, look at the darkness. You got to do something. But what is the Apostle Paul saying to them? You got to then really allow God to do something in you. And if they would truly allow God to do renovation work and they would truly be regenerated, they would truly be renewed, if they would truly be reborn, then you know what? Then the city of Corinth would change. Look, the city could change if they allowed the reality of the resurrection to start to come out of them. So this is good for you and I. Why is this good for you and I? So that when we look at our communities and we say, ah, oh, this place stinks. God, do something. When we're in our jobs and say, this place 
stinks. God, do something. Or you and I look in our world and say, God, you got to do something. I wonder if God in heaven is looking down on us and say, I would be able to do. I could do. This place could see light. Look, this place would be able to see me if you allowed me to come out of you. And so the Corinthian church, when we look at it, we're like, man, these people messed up. When you read these letters, you get, you get the, we get the inside scoop of the drama that's taking place in them. We learn what problems they have by Paul writing to them. And this is something important to know, that the, the letter 1 Corinthians, Paul writing 1 Corinthians, he's responding to a letter they wrote to him first. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians that Paul writes, he's actually writing in response to a letter that they wrote to him. If, if, if you open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it begins by Paul saying, and now concerning the things that you wrote about. And when you get to chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, he's like, and now concerning food sacrifice to idols. And so we know by what Paul is writing, we can make a good assumption about what they wrote to him and what they presented to him. And so in this letter, Paul is also giving them counsel, giving them advice, and also giving them correction about the things that they were writing to him. And now when their letter is being delivered to him, the deliverer is also able to tell Paul, yeah, they got a lot of problems, that, <laughs> that Corinthian church. They got a lot of issues, and, that, and the person who's delivering the letter is able to affirm to Paul, yeah, these need some illumination. And so when you read these writings, you can see Paul encouraging and motivating them. And so I want to just turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want to read this, and look what Paul says here in verse 23. In verse 24, he says this, I have the right, and look, there's quotation marks there. I have the right to do anything. And then it says, you say. This is what they're saying. I have the right to do anything. You say. And then look what he says to them. But not everything is beneficial. Now he's quoting either maybe something that they literally wrote or their attitude. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything. Everything is constructive. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. Now look how that fits into the bigger picture. There's differences among them, and he's now saying, oh, okay, you can't. He says, you're saying you have the right to do anything, but I'm telling you right now that that's not always the most beneficial. Look, He's saying exercising your rights or your freedoms or your liberties are not always beneficial, ultimately, if they're going to, look, put down or do harm or bring down others. He says, you say you have the right to do anything. He goes, look, but not everything is constructive. And so, look, he's trying to teach the Corinthian church That part of resurrection, part of living out the resurrection of Christ is not just to think about your own freedoms, but as you go to live out the freedoms that you claim that you have in Christ, 
that to make sure that you're not screaming, I have freedom, and while you're doing that, you are hurting someone else. So a great truth about their resurrection as a way of life is that they consider others. You can't just live in a world. It's my right. This my freedom. This my right. This my freedom. The Apostle Paul would say, but is it constructive? Look, is it beneficial, he would say. And your answer can't be, well, yeah, it blesses me, and yeah, it works for me, and yes, it makes my house stand up nice and tall. He would say, no, 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 no. When I ask you, is it beneficial, I'm not just talking about if your freedom blesses you. I'm talking about does your freedom and your right bless someone else? But this, you know, builds up my empire, and this builds up my business, and this, you know, I'm free in Christ. And look, you know, God wants to bless me, and all things are from God, so, you know, I'm just going to go and take the world by storm. He's like, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, does it, is it beneficial, and is it constructive for your brother as well? Now, this for them is like, what you talking about? Because in their framework and in their culture of society, and this is important. I know it might seem like, oh, pastor, stop. No, no, this is important. In their philosophy, this is what the wise understood, that everything belonged to them. That the gods made it all, so it all belongs to them. Now, we might say in, in God, too, that there, there is the sense and there is the belief that everything has come from God. So we might even say that, and Paul, to a certain degree, would agree, but what he's trying to get them to see, but in God, the freedoms that we have and the liberties and the blessings don't step on others, but they consider others, whereas the Corinthian mindset that everything belongs to us, sometimes that's at the expense of others, but it's okay because I'm in this world and it's about me. And so what he's trying to tell them that in the Christ, that can't be the mindset. So here, here it is. So now, what about us? What is our way of thinking? How do we live? If I had a title of this sermon, it would be this, living to glorify God. This is what he's trying to get them to understand. Look, that in Christ, that now you live to glorify God. So we have to ask the question, how? How does one live to glorify God? Well, we can learn so much. The Apostle Paul is going to address them on two ways. You want to live to glorify God? He's going he's to get down to this. To glorify God, you have to honor your neighbor. And to glorify God, you have to honor him. Now, where could Paul think of something so wise? These are principles and teachings that we see God wanted to give to Israel, those that read in their Old Testament, that it wasn't just about them and Yahweh alone, but it was about them, Yahweh, and look, and their fellowship with their Israelite brother, but also the world around them. And so it was about, yes, this love and this demonstration Look, sharing the blessing of God with the rest of the world, their neighbor. So yes, you have to, in order to honor God, even for the nation of Israel in older times past, it was about the honor of your neighbor. 
But of course, that can only happen if you have a foundation to honor God. And Israel, in times past, had to honor God. They couldn't have no other gods before them. God told them in, their, in his law to them, right, in his instruction, no other gods before me. Why? Because he's a jealous God. And so look, if they would keep their faithfulness to God and only worship him, then that is their, look, their demonstration of giving glory to God. One, check, say check mark, check, check, check it off. They're honoring God, only worship to him, but to also glorify God was, look, to care, respect, and do good unto your neighbor. That is also how you look, glorify God. Have you ever asked yourself, or have you ever said, raise your hand if you said, God, I want to, I glorify your name, God. Oh, yeah. If you're from New York, if you're from New York, you're from that church, like, we glorify your name, God. I glorify you. It's a beautiful expression. What I have to ask myself is, do I know what that means? Now, yes, yes. We can give thanks and praise. Usually in that prayer, I glorify you, God. Then there becomes the declarations of praises where we're ascribing, you know, praise unto God. And I would say that, that does, that is inclusive of, of your, look, your worship to God. We might not know what it means, but I think we kind of have a sentiment where we're trying to put our attention and all glory goes to him, all praise go to him, right? Like all honor go to him. God, I glorify your name. And so check mark, that counts, that's good. It's about our pure worship unto God. Check. But what the Apostle Paul wants them to understand and what God, Yahweh, from the beginning wanted Israel to understand, that look, to glorify God, is to honor him and to honor the neighbor around you. So that, this is why when you come to the dwelling place church, and if you've been here a while, like these people are always talking about God, but they're always talking about their neighbor. I just want to glorify God. Like I just want to come in, get my worship on, you know, receive a word that, you know, blesses me, inspires me. Look, so then I can go back to my temple, or I mean my home. We could go back to our homes. And so that things could be all beneficial there, and that things could be all, you know, built up there. And it's like, wait, no, the scriptures are teaching us that to glorify God is to have this pure worship and to consider our neighbor. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter Eight addresses this situation, look, between not just rich and not just poor, but this language comes in in 1 Corinthians 8 where it's like, look, look, it's put this way. It's the stronger and then there's the weaker. Those are the weaker. Those are the weaker ones, you know. They're, they're stronger and why, why? Well, when you read... 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is addressing them. He's already been addressing them. And in and, and, and chapter 7, I told you, if you read it, he says, and now concerning the things that you wrote about. And in chapter 7, it's all about marriage. It's about singleness. It's about celibacy and his wisdom and his encouragement about those topics. But if you go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, then you would see that then he says, and now concerning food sacrifice to idols. 
Now, this means that they wrote to him. Now, this is a big thing. This is part of the world that they live in. Why? Because I told you, Corinth is this place where, look, that their whole lives are revolving around, look, the influence of the pagan idolatrous world. And so there's temples all around, and there's feasts all around, and there's business all around. But look, it's all fused together with this worship of these gods. And so what was taking place? Here, I want to let you know what was taking place. In Corinth, there was food, the majority of the food in Corinth. When the food came, it was seen as a provision of their gods. And so then in their temples, temples would host ceremonies, would host, you know, feasts would host celebrations, would host weddings. If you're a wealthy family, you could bring your whole family to the temple and have your celebration there. If you had the money to pay for it, you could do that. But because you're in the temples of these gods, then you got to, you know, you got to make, give honor, give honor to where honor's due. And so here's something interesting, that the poor people, those less fortunate, they didn't have the luxury of meat all the time. Meat was also, look, food mostly for those who were well-to-do in Corinth. Now, you got lucky if you were the poor Ben, Corinthian, that got invited to help serve the table, then you know what? You got to have meat. Now, Ben, Michael, you said, right? Michael's the rich Corinthian, and look, he's wealthy. He invites his whole family, and, you know, his daughter's getting married, and so he's going to do it at the temple. And so when you're at the temple, and now they're going to get some wonderful meat, and everyone's going to eat. Before they do that, now Ben gets invited to the temple too. Ooh, lucky Ben, you get to go. Ben, you get to go, but make sure you wear a white shirt, you know, black shoes, (laughs) and put a smile on your face. Now, so look, Ben comes here, both of them there, uh, uh, Michael's whole family, they're there, and you know what, they're going to have this big celebration, but before they have the meat, you know what, they're going to make the sacrifice, they're going to kill the animal right there, this thing is fresh. Who likes fresh meat? And so they kill the animal, they slaughter it there, and what are they going to do? Thank you to these gods for it. In some instances, they would cut a piece of meat, and they'll put it on a plate, and they're like, here, 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 God, here you go. Hope you like it. Thank you for it. <laughs> Here you go. And look, they, they, there was a portion of the meat that was even off, you know, thank you for providing it. And so now here's your honor back. And sometimes there was a drink too that would be poured out. And so look, now they're, look, they're in fellowship with this God. And so, you know, now we're sitting down, me and Michael, I'm his cousin. Great to see you. How's business? Let's talk. And we're eating it up. And this is wonderful. And now Ben comes in and I'm like, Ben, Michael needs a refill. And so Ben's running to get the drink. And when he comes, he sees like, oh, okay, they got their God over there and all that stuff like that. Okay. Serves the table. Then after that. At the end, you know, maybe we could give him some, and then he gets to look. He gets to partake at this table. Now, but what happens if Paul comes? And now, he preached to you, Michael, and you believe in the message of the cross and the resurrection. Now, you start to gather with these Corinthians on the first day of the week, because that's what they did, because that's the day that Jesus rose. So, you know what, Michael? Maybe because you're wealthy, you have the large house. Now, Ben can go to your house, and now, look, you can have your meals. You guys can sing songs of worship. This is what the early Christians did. They sang hymns. 
God, literally in the Corinthian church, maybe God would give a word of wisdom to Michael, a prophetic word we can call that, and then Michael would be able to share something on God's behalf to the rest of the Corinthians who have believed. So now look, God is using Michael, and Ben, you're able now look to share in the revelation that God has given to Michael. You guys go and you do the Lord's Supper because you're going to do that because Jesus said, do this in remembrance for me. So you guys even take communion. And then what ends up happening, Michael, you, you, you believe in Jesus now, but now your other, you know, now your cousin's daughter is getting married. And they're like, hey, Michael, we're having a celebration next week. And guess where it's going to be at? It's going to be at the temple, Michael. And so now Michael comes to the temple and he's like, oh, but I believe in Jesus now. This gets tricky. How does the Corinthian now live in the reality of their everyday world with having a profession of faith? And so now Michael's at the temple on behalf of his relative who's doing a celebration. But when they go to make the meat for the, for the, for the celebration, now Michael sees them sacrifice, making the sacrifice onto the God. But Michael doesn't believe in this God anymore. He believes in Jesus as God. And so what would happen if Michael's like, you know what? But the Apostle Paul told us something really good. The Apostle Paul talked to us about Jeremiah. And, and, and the Apostle Paul, when he talks to us about Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah said that these guys are nothing. They're like scarecrows. And then Michael's like, you know, and I remember that the Apostle Paul must have told them about Isaiah. And Isaiah said that these gods, they got ears, but they can't hear. They got eyes, and they can't see. And, if they re and, and Michael's remembering the Apostle Paul trying to teach them that these gods are nothing. They can't do anything for them. The gods can't do anything for you, Michael. Only Jesus can do something for you. Put your faith in Jesus. He died for your sin. And so now, so now Michael's here. He's in a tough situation because his cousin's like, you got to come, let's eat. And then Michael, look, Michael reasons with himself. You know what? I know that statue really can't see me. I know he's got ears, but he can't hear me. Christ alone is my God. This food is sacrificed to this piece of wood. I'm not doing this. Look, I'm not doing this to worship this God. I know who my God is, but I'm here at my cousin's wedding, so I'm going to eat. But I'm not eating with the same mentality. Michael's not eating with the same mentality because his, his cousin is eating in worship of this thing or giving praise, but he's eating with a clear conscience, so to say. I know, look, I know that this is not my God. And so what ends up happening is, not just Michael does that, maybe his, his daughters who believed with him as well, he's like, hey, listen, man, listen, girls, we know that this idol is nothing. We got a clear conscience. We're free. We're not doing this to honor this. You know what? We know that all food comes from the Lord. How many people say he's, he's using his best judgment there? Now, the Apostle Paul, they, he received the letter first. And so they wrote to him about this situation. Like, hey, Michael writes to them, hey, you, write, you wrote the letter to Paul. He's like, hey, so about this food, you know, sacrifice to idols. Then when the Apostle Paul writes, he's like, yeah, let's talk about that. And the Apostle Paul is going to give two reasons why Michael should not do that. 
One, he's going to address it. He's going to address Michael in consideration of the rest of your family and the rest of other Corinthians. And then he's going to address it in terms of his relationship with God. And so in chapter 8, he does, he explains to him why this is not best practice, even though he's free and has a free conscience. Now, what did we, Paul, write? He actually writes to the Corinthians, he tells them this, hey, listen, man, I know you got the right, I know you have a liberty in Christ. And he actually goes through, yeah, you know, you do say that there's only one God. And Paul's like, yeah, I got you, and I feel you on that. There is only one God. But then he brings up a situation. He says, what if you're eating that thing, right? And in your mind, you know that you're not doing this in participation with this idol. You're not in fellowship with this as you eat it. You love Jesus, and all your honor and glory goes to him. You're just thanking God for all the food that he provides. That's what I'm doing. And, and Paul says, your conscience is clear. But what if Ben also came? Your cousin hired Ben to come. So now you see Ben. Oh, what's up, Ben? You're here too. And then Ben sees you, Michael, who now profess your faith in Jesus. And Ben's like, oh, my gosh. We were just at, at Michael's house this past Sunday worshiping Jesus and we were taking communion together. How is Michael worshiping and in fellowship? And Michael's like, but my mind is clear. No biggie, bro. Like, glory to God, you know. And Ben's like, that's not good. <laughs> He's participating with food sacrifice to idols. Paul, this is, this is what's happening and so when Paul, this is what Paul is addressing. Let's pick up in 1 Corinthians 8, just a couple of verses so you can see how Paul's advice about this. It's all going to tie in. Now, this is all tied into living to glorify God. Michael, you have to live to glorify God. Us, today, we have to live to glorify God. First, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He says, but be careful that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Because what Michael wrote in his letter to Paul was, hey man, you know, we got this wisdom, we know all things come from God. You know, we're, we're, we're strong in mind. But there are some weak brothers like Ben who are not getting it. <laughs> and so in this case, Michael would be defending his position that he has understanding and that he has knowledge and that he's not participating with the idol. He's free of that. He's doing it with no shame, no guilt. He's just thanking God for the plate of food that he has. And what he tells Paul is that, you know, Ben's just a little weak in his mind. And now the apostle Paul is going to say, okay, Michael, but be careful that this liberty of yours does not become, look, a hindrance to the weak. The weak that you, you know, the weak Ben over there. For if someone weak sees you who possesses, uh, uh, who sees you who possess knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience be strengthened or encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So by your knowledge, the weak brother or sister from whom Christ died is destroyed. So what is he saying? Let's say Michael's like, I'm eating this, 
I'm good. This comes from God. I'm not worshiping this. But Ben is like, oh, man. He's participating with food sacrifice to idols. That's not good. That's not good. It's not good. But you know what? If Michael's doing it, then I'm going to do it too. Now, Michael was doing it for your conscience. Ben wasn't. But he did not understand Michael's understanding of wisdom, so to say. He didn't understand Michael's freedom in his mind. And so now Ben just participated, but Ben went against his conscience. Look at that nuance. And what the Apostle Paul says, so by your knowledge, the weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed. That's not good for Ben. That's not good for Ben. He goes on to say, in verse 12, if you sin against your brothers or sisters in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. For this reason, look, if food causes my brother or sister to sin, the Apostle Paul says, I will never eat meat again so that I may not cause one of them to sin. Wow. So what is Paul's advice? Michael, <laughs> your freedom, which you thought you had your right, just caused Ben to go against his conscience. And now you're doing this in freedom, but Ben is doing this in sin. Michael, don't use your freedom to cause him to sin. This is how you live to glorify God. Now, this is a literal example, but I wonder how this could really play out in our world today. What are things that you and I say, there's nothing here. I'm strong of mind. I'm strong of faith. I understand this. I know this freedom I have. I know that there's idols or nothing. And so you're just going to do it out of the freedom that you have. What does the Apostle Paul says? Be careful how you exercise your freedom because there are others that don't have your same understanding and they're not going to translate what you're doing. As a matter of fact, you doing that is actually going to cause someone to actually not know your reasons for doing something, but they're going to follow you thinking that this freedom of yours, you're saying it's okay to tear, have a fellowship with someone. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. Now, Michael, in his freedom, made Ben participate in something that Ben himself thought was sin. And God says, that's not, that's not honoring. So how many of us have say, said, I want to glorify God? If we truly want to glorify God, we have to then consider every single thing that we do. Everything that I do. Now, in today's world, most of us are not talking, this, the theme discussion is not food sacrifice to idols in our world. This isn't Corinth. <laughs> but what are the things that are really out there that a Christian might say, oh, this is nothing. Music could fall into that category. Ah, I know what music is. This doesn't bother me. I don't let it affect me. This is my right. This is my freedom. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would say to us about the music that we listen to. Like, well, you know, I got the album, but I put oil on it, so it's not going to bother me. 
I anointed it with oil. Like, I don't believe in their gods, and I don't believe in the culture of this music. I just like the rhythm, and I like the flow, and I like the artist, so I'm just going to rock with this. Now, you're a Christian. What if someone else who doesn't have that faith, someone who's in the world, sees you rocking out? And now the person in the world is going to be like, oh, you Christians participate with that? Oh, dope. I'm going to rock with this culture, too. And so, look, what we did just made it okay for the world to do something, but this, your mind is different, so to say. You're free and you have your right because, you know, you understand how the devil works and he's not going to get you. (laughs) Like, I've been freed from God, so I'm just going to sing this lyric, but it got no hold on me. But then someone from the world is going to see you rocking out, singing the music, but they agree with the culture and and that system is feeding into them. And now, look, they're going to continue to participate because we gave them a license to. And the Apostle Paul says, that's not honor. That's not living to glorify God. Now, they were bragging, saying that this was a freedom, and it was because of the knowledge that they understood. Like, I know how the devil works and how he operates, and so, look, I can get this close, and it's okay. Or, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to drink all of this, and I'm going to smoke all of that, but it ain't got no hold on me in Jesus' name. <laughs> Only on weekends. You know what the Apostle Paul would say? Well, what if the world sees you only on weekends? I only go to the club, you know, <laughs> once a month. I'm not bound to this. I'm in Christ. I know where my fidelity is really at. I'm just having a good time. I'm free of Christ. Just here rocking out. You know what the Apostle Paul would say? But what if the world, the weaker, see you? He literally says, they're going to think that what you're, what you're, while you're saying in your mind that this is nothing, the world is going to translate that what you're saying that this is good. And that's not living to glorify God. And so in chapter 8, this is what he does. Why is this important to understand this? So that we know that to live in the resurrection is to have this consideration, look, for the weaker, for the world, for our brother and sister, because we literally could do things that then would bring them into sin. He says, do not become a stumbling block. Don't cause your neighbor to sin. Now, I'm sure there's so many other things in our world today that we could then put on this table and make up for discussion. We need to talk about these things. We got to have good conversation about these things. Most of us say, well, you know what? This doesn't convict me. The Apostle Paul says it's not just about it convicting you. It's what it then will tell someone else. It's not just about your conscience. It's about their conscience. Oh, let's go to the parents. Parents are in the house. We're, I'm the adult. I'm the adult. I'm mommy. I'm daddy. You child. I talk to you however. Praise God. <laughs> Get yourself ready to church, and if you're late, I'm going to rip your head off. We got to go. I got to glorify God and your rotten kid. It's crazy, right? They're parents just like that fighting all the way to church 
so that they can praise God together and they throw them kids in the back of the car. Your kid's looking at you like... And then, look, you use your right, you use your freedom as the parent to say that you can talk to them that way. That God gave you to them so they're the, they're the boss. Look, using the liberties and the rights of parents. And then our children are just like, ah. But you know what we're really doing? We're teaching our kids that, that, kind is, that, that that's okay. Teaching them that when they grow up that they could be angry and bitter. And The apostle will say, you're, call, you're causing your children. I think he would write today. You're causing your children to sin like that. So to really live to, to glorify God is not just to show up to church and for us to get our praise on and to get a word that speaks good to us so we can go back to our homes and build them up, Paul says, not everything is beneficial. And then you know what he does? So this is in chapter 8, right? You know what he does in chapter 9? He talks to them about a right that he could take as an apostle. He talks about, look, a right that he, as a spiritual father, a right that he could have exercised, but he did not exercise his right. Why? For their sake. And then in chapter 10, then he picks it back up. He picks up the esteem of, he, and then he says, oh, you guys are so smart. You guys are so smart. You got this? This, this is nothing that, you know, yes, there's one God, and, and, and the idol doesn't have any, you know, he has eyes, but he can't see. And so he's like, oh, you think you're so smart. You know what he says to them? Let's read it, and then we can start to close. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, you know what he says about this? He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord, participating in the Lord's Supper, sharing a meal. He says, I'm sorry, Michael, you became the wealthy in the back Corinthian today. Or, he says, Michael, you can't be in your house on Sunday with Ben and the rest of the church and, you know, take the cup of the Lord and, 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 and take the, the bread and share in them. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. He says, you cannot have a part in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? That's, then he says, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Look, again, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now look what Paul says. Yes, yes, Michael, yes, Corinthian church, yes, TDP, yes, you, yes, me. Eyes can't see, ears can't hear. But in our knowledge, we also know that this food, while the idol is nothing, the spirituality behind it is very real. And he says, this is a table <laughs> offered to these gods. While the gods are nothing, the demons behind them are very real. 
And so in chapter 8, he's trying to get them to understand, you know, don't do this for your brother's sake. Like, don't do this for, don't, don't cause your brother to sin. But in chapter 10, he takes, a, he takes a stronger tone and says, but Michael, you can't do this because you can't sin against God either. In your knowledge, you're trying to reason out and justify why this is okay. And he says, yes, while the idol is nothing, the spirit, look, of idolatry is very real. And he, said, he would be saying to the Corinthian church, I don't want you. Look, you as living in the resurrection, you can't partake. Because while the idol is nothing, the spiritual world, look, the demonic is. And you can't share in that fellowship. We're telling ourselves, no, I got this. It's not going to affect me. And we don't realize that we're lying to ourselves. And God knows how much things are really affecting us that we're pretending they're not. And we're trying to justify the action by saying we understand a little better than someone else. And you know, they, they don't really know what this is, so they shouldn't do it. But I understand, so I'm good here. I'm grown. I've been serving God for 15 years. Telling your kid they can't do something, but then you turn around and do it in front of them and say, I'm the adult. I got this. I wonder how many of those different scenarios God would be like, you're fellowshipping. You're making a fellowship with a table and a cup of demons. And look, as a believer, he says, no Corinthian church. To, for them to live in the resurrection, for them to live to glorify God, they have to consider others and they have to consider a pure worship and no association. Don't get close to idolatry is the warning. As a matter of fact, chapter 10 begins with him saying, you got to remember the children of Israel who God had delivered them out. And what did they do? They got out into the wilderness and then they got real close to a golden calf and it led to their destruction. So today, TDP Church Look how all of this can speak to us today. What are we getting close to in our world that we're saying it's okay? Where are we going that we're saying, hey, it's okay, it's not, this don't got a stronghold on me. This is not gonna affect me how it affects others. I'm strong in the Lord. To live in a new creation is to Consider the neighbor and to consider, look, a pureness with God. Anyone feeling God speaking to them? Amen, that's good. Some of these messages are really good to be like, yeah, that's my dad. Speak to him faster. Yeah, that's my crazy mother. Speak to her. You know, that's, you know, that's my uncle. That's my grandpa. I want to encourage you not, not to do that. If you're a child, I want to strongly encourage you not to do that because you're going in the car with your parents, and we already know, so don't add fuel to the fire. 
What I want to encourage all of us to do is, look, this is where we pray, right? Look, that was so nuanced. That was so like, that was so... <laughs> and, and Paul's just trying to speak wisdom into a situation. Now, we live in a different world and we live in different situations. The, our... our America does not look like the Corinthian world. In many ways, we can see similarities, but there are realities that are very, very different. Church, I want to invite you, I want to invite us, that we would pray, God, just show me. Just show me if there's a place where my knowledge, my right, my freedom, that I, that I think I got this and I'm, and I'm secure in you. God, show me if I'm doing something that is literally leading, giving the wrong picture to my brother, my neighbor. Look, my husband, my wife, my children, my co-workers, my community. God, show me. If in my freedom that I'm okay with you, that I'm doing something in the public, that the public world, the lost world is saying, oh, it's okay to continue in this because I'm free and I got this? Let us pray, God, show me. But then let us also pray, man, God, also show me if I was too smart for my own good. Show me if I failed to see that, look, there is something spiritual behind this, and I'm telling myself that this has been okay. God, show me if it's tied to the demonic. Show me if it's tied to the darkness. Show me if it's tied, not to just leading my brother to sin, but me and my security don't realizing that I'm in sin too. How many people want revival? Oh, oh, how many people want revival? How many people want to, oh, praise God? How many people want, oh, we should be praying like them? We should be going to church like them? Yeah, go to church, pray. If you want to see a miracle, praise God, I want to see a miracle too. How many people actually want to live to glorify God is the question. These are the prayers that most Christians don't pray, but if you say there's a revival service down the block, we got to go to that. You grab your kids, throw them in the back of the car, curse all the way to the revival service. Then get there and, I don't want to go home. I wish my church was like this. Curse all the way back to the house. Want a miracle, God? Look, look, God, we invite you to move, but no one came to pray. Want to see something happen in the marriages? Want God to move when we grab a microphone and sing? but you can count how many people show up to pray in deep prayer. God, I want you to speak to me. Send someone to speak to me. I hope the pastor got a word. I hope the prophet got a word. I hope the preacher got a word. They might have a word. And your Bible's in... Bible's where? You know where? It's in your bag. It's in the bag that you take to church on Sunday. And then you pick up the bag with the Bible. And when you come to this church, you don't even got to pull it out the bag. We got the verses on the screen for you. And then you know what you do? You grab it and then you get home and you throw it in the corner. 
And then when Thursday comes, you go, where's my bag? I need my Bible. Where's my bag? And you grab your bag and you bring it to church and you get home and you throw it in the corner. But God, we want revival. God, we want your spirit. Then we say things like this. God, just move in this place how you want to move. <laughs> I wonder what God sees when he looks down at us. And we're screaming, just move, God. Just bless the church. Pour out, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. And God's spirit's like, I want you to live in the resurrection. That's when church is fake. That's when we're praying, but they're the wrong prayers. James would later on say, you pray, but you don't receive because you ask a miss. You ask with the wrong motives, like, you're missing it. Look, in the right place, at the right time, with the wrong prayer, with the wrong mind, with the wrong heart, with the wrong motive. I would say, I don't want any of us to waste our time. But I could imagine the heart of God saying, I don't want them to waste their time. I died so that, look, they can have life and life abundantly. Because we think that is freedom. I have my freedom, my right. And Jesus is like, you haven't even tasted it. You haven't even really tasted it. You don't, we, many of us don't even know what it is to be free. We're looking at this as, oh, here goes another rule. Can't do that. Can't go there. Can't listen to this. Can't smoke that. Can't drink this. Can't shake that. Oh, God and his rules. And we, we've been feeding into the lie that that's life. God's, but if you only knew what it was really to be in Christ and to live with a renovated mind and a renovated heart, this could change everything. This could change everything. This could change everything. If you give it over to God, put down your wisdom, put down your pride, put down your excuses and give it to God. It could change you. It could change your wife. It could change your husband. It could change your children. And if it does that, it will change our church living in the resurrection, not just going to church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the grace to receive us. Father, thank you, Lord, that when we say yes to you, you received that yes, Lord. And you took our yes with sincerity. You took our yes wholeheartedly, Lord, and you saved us, Lord. And you deposited your spirit inside of us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Father, as Paul extended grace to the Corinthian church, Lord, Father, your spirit is here to extend grace to us, Lord. Father, today we pray as a church, Lord to show us, Lord, where our liberties and our freedoms and our rights, Lord, are causing offense to our neighbor, our brother, our sister, or causing them to stumble, causing them to sin. God, show us, Lord. 
Father, show us, Lord, where our pride and our arrogance and our wisdom, Lord, is literally, literally causing us, Lord, to fall short in our worship towards you. Show us, Lord, where we are, where we become idolatrous in our understanding, Lord. God, reveal to us, Lord, as we pray with open hearts for you to do so, show us, Lord, where our wisdom has failed us and has failed you, Lord. Father, today, Lord, we pray as a church and a community, Lord. We do want to see you, Lord. We do want you to move. We do want your spirit poured out of us, Lord. So, Father, we want to live to glorify you. May your Holy Spirit help all of us today, Lord. And if there's someone in here that has yet to trust in you as their Lord and Savior, may they know that they can do that. That it's grace by faith that they're saved, not of works, Lord. It's not about what they do, but it's about what you've done, Lord. And so that they can't boast, none of us can boast about it, Lord. That their salvation is a gift that you freely give to them right now if they would put their faith, Lord, in you. So, Father, we pray that salvation is taking place now, that someone is putting their faith in you, or maybe someone is returning in faith to you, Lord. Father, and as we come to you, Lord God, free us of the burden of guilt and shame, Lord. Father, I pray that today, if we have been convicted in any kind of way by your word, Lord God, and what we have heard, that it will just produce in us a repentance, Lord, that will produce in a prodigal son or a daughter coming home, Lord, and not with their head down in shame, Lord. But in the parable, Lord God, you said that the father received his son, came running and received him with great joy and then made a feast for him, Lord. Father, let them know that as, as, as we repent, Lord, from the table of demons, Lord, that when we come to you, that you sit us at a table of your pureness and your fellowship, Lord. And that there's a place, Lord, of blessing and freedom forgiveness and liberty, Lord, and that there is a life to live in the resurrection with you. So, Father, I thank you for being with us. I thank you for hearing our prayers. You hear us, Lord, and you receive us, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you.